works by the region's artists, artisans, makers, and craftsmen at Catskills Curated. NarrowsburgUnion.com Welcome to the local edition, news and information to keep you connected in the Catskills, Northeast Pennsylvania. I'm your host, Jason Dole. Coming up, we'll do our weekly Monday news roundup with the Sullivan County Democrat talking to managing editor Joe Abraham, getting the latest on local news. That's in the second half of the program. But first, what we do on Mondays is we check in with Sullivan County. And the news in Sullivan County is that, well, the county has unveiled its budget for next year, along with a new way to access the budget online. This is a $267 million budget, and it will feature a slight tax decrease for the first time since 2019. Here to tell us more about the upcoming budget, Sullivan County Manager Josh Potosik. Josh, welcome back to the program. Great. Great to be here. Thanks. So this uh, tax decrease, this is a 0.127% tax decrease. Is that correct? What what does that mean for the taxpayer? Well, I think when you when you look at the overall, um, what the county is looking to raise in terms of taxes, so uh, we're not raising the tax levy, and because of some assessment gro- growth, the tax rate is actually decreasing a little bit on top of, um, um, so it, it's, and every town's a little bit different in the county based upon what town you're in. But overall, people should be seeing um, a slight reduction in their, their county tax bill. And then there's some other um, things related to solid waste where they should see some reductions as well. Right. It's it's interesting that, that there's an actual decrease and there's things like, well, for example, the county eliminated the solid waste access fee. So you don't have that fee coming in, uh, but, you know, taxes didn't go up. So, like, how how'd you do that? Well, I think a combination of things, right? I think um, Sullivan County has been seeing some um, economic growth. Um, our sales tax has gone up. Some of our other um, non-tax levy revenues that we've seen growth in room tax and other things related to more people being here, spending more money, which is um, you know, a good thing. But also, the county's um, been pretty aggressive in reducing some of our um, our, our, our hard costs. We've uh, paid down uh, about $18 million of debt and related kind of debt issues over the last couple of years early, which, you know, when you take the two of those together, reducing expenses and seeing some increase in revenues allows us to, you know, re- reduce taxes and get rid of a, a solid waste fee all in one year. Does does this mean that, I'm, that I won't have to buy a ticket book when I go to the transfer station? Is that what this means? No, uh, unrelated. Similar system, solid waste system. So there's still fees for you to to dispose of your trash, whether you're a resident or business. But we, we since 2010, have been applying uh, an access fee on the your actual tax bill. Ah. So a home a homeowner has been seen as a in the current year um, had a tax bill of fifty dollars was to be able to access the fee separate and apart from the tax levy. So that what this budget is proposing is to get rid of that homeowner fifty dollar charge. You will see that directly on a tax bill when they get released in January. Uh, will be eliminated. Got it. As you point out, there's things that have changed for the county, like the business coming into the county, the residents coming in, tourism's doing well. So those are all positive things. But of course, like every county across the country, there's other negative factors that that you got to deal with. Has inflation affected uh, this budget for next year? Uh, Yes, certainly. I mean, I think even even the current year and and going into next year, I think... 
take something as simple, not as simple, but it's one one item such as road paving. Um, due to due to um, increased costs, we had to add about a million dollars to our road paving contract this year. So we had to take into account for that going into next year. So looking at anything from fuel related purchases for our public works, um, electricity, all that, all, everything that homeowners and businesses are struggling, we, we struggle with those same inflationary cost. I mean, we're providing food uh, um, at, a, at a jail and a nursing home. So we almost are a, a mirror image of a homeowner or business and what you're buying and spend and seeing cost increases for. We're seeing those same things. On the flip side, though, it, as, as costs go up and inflationary, that, that does get reflected a little bit back in probably why are sales taxes up um, a, a portion because of this things just costing more. So it, it hurts us in one sense and, you know, our utility food lines, but it, it, it's certainly putting a boost into uh, what we collect in sales tax at the same time. Right. And I mean, I'm, you went through this whole effort of balancing it. That's the process. It's a, some things go up, some things go down. You got some uh, costs going out, some co- uh, revenue coming in. That's the act of balancing it. And if I was to ask you about all of that, then I mean that wouldn't be very good radio because then it would be like you know it'd be like making a budget on air. But that said, uh, are there other uh, highlights in the upcoming budget that things that you encountered, things that are in there that you'd like people to know about? Yeah, I think on the financial side, I mean, this, this budget isn't using any of our rainy day fund or savings accounts, so it's balanced. It's a, a structurally balanced budget. We're not using one, one-time revenues to help fund the expenditures. I think when you're looking at um, public works, everyone's, you know, one of the top-of-the-mind things that you're using our roads, bridges, buildings. Um, there's historic investments in road and bridge infrastructure. Um um, certainly in the last several decades, we the, the, the amount of money we're putting into roads and bridges is, is um, probably the, the most in the last 20 years. Um, so I think that'll be a good reflection. We've co- come a long way in the last several years to, you know, fund more roads and bridges, and this even builds upon that funding even more going into the into the next year. Um, it, it even sets aside some money for to defray future capital costs. Um, there's been Legislature has been talking about a, um, an aquatic and indoor track facility at our community college. Um, this budget um, proposes to set aside five million dollars toward that project, uh, defraying future bonding and interest costs, which is always good. Um, it's just sticking with the college. Uh, the the promise scholarship has been wildly successful. I think we had um, close to sixty. Um, local uh, youth that uh, took uh, advantage of the Youth Promise Scholarship um, this semester, this fall semester. This budget proposes to um, um, make that a two-year two-year commitment from the county, so kids can now go and get their full two years of community college expenses paid for um, um, by, by the county. So I think having this financial flexibility, I think looking at just those two things allows, that's something we probably couldn't have done in the past, right? Um, if we weren't able to pay roads and bridges, something like a promise scholarship wouldn't have been feasible because we couldn't even maintain our own infrastructure. So I think the position we're in is, is from a financial perspective, has allowed us to do now other things that we, we never could have done in the past. But, you know, trying to keep youth here, get more educated um, uh, populace, more, you know, more work-ready uh, impl- um People trying to hopefully with the goal of getting more people to stay, you know, locally and in, in their county and certainly in the region. Yeah, and when you're talking about SUNY Sullivan, a two-year school, uh, a two-year scholarship that that works pretty well. That's pretty good. Yeah, no, I think we were all kind of um, 
sounded like a great idea when we proposed it. We're a little like uh, knocking on wood. Hopefully this works. And I think uh, it, it certainly met and exceeded our expectations in, in the first year. You know, so it was something we put together pretty quickly with the college and the school district. So I think you're only going to see that grow as more kids and more school districts become aware. And, and, you know, as those kids come back and say, that's a great opportunity. I don't have any student loan debt um, and I have an associate's degree. So I think that, I think that's going to grow and be um, one of our crown jewels that I think, I don't think there's anyone in the state doing that from a county community college level. So I think it's, it speaks to kind of, um, our, our financial ability, but we are trying to advance the county and um, have a more productive workforce, more educated workforce. And so it's not just county government. We want to see the whole county thrive. Now, what's the status of this budget? Is it still preliminary or is this final? Are you seeking uh, input from people at this time? Where Where are we at with all that? Yeah, so... The tentative budget has been filed, so th- that that's my and all, all the staff recommendations on how we how we propose to operate government next year. Um, that's been filed formally with the legislature. Um, they have statutorily until December twentieth to uh, adopt uh, a, a final county budget. So they're now just beginning. There's uh, I think a meeting next week and a couple um, after Thanksgiving where they're going to bring certain department heads, commissioners in to talk about certain new initiatives, positions spending revenues and, and potentially refine and amend the budget before they adopt. Um, and then they have, there will be two public hearings. Um, so the public can, can come out and express their like or dislike with certain things or all of the budget um, um, in, in um, late November, early December. So all the statutory things we have to do, but the, the, the budget is now really resting with the County legislature for their final amendments and input and vote um, by the 20th. And with all that, you also have a new way of accessing it online. I went to, while we're talking here, I went to SullivanNY.us County website, and there's a page that says Current Budget Documents, and there's a link to the County of Sullivan Tentative Budget 2023 digital book. Uh, this is new, right? Yeah, it's brand new. It's just something um, um, our bu- budget office here kind of looked at and saw and thought, thought it would be more um giving more information and ability for the public to kind of access information in new ways. Historically, um, we would put um, static PDF-like documents up on the website that were, you know, like reading a book. Like there was no ability to, to look into things further. This this new um, digital book allows you to create certain charts and graphs, and you can um, see more data and, and customize things, um, expenses, revenues, to, to generate data that, the public may want to see in a certain way that wouldn't, you would not ever see in our historic, um, you know, just regular budget books. So I think it's, it's exciting. I think it's something that the, the public gets more used to. They'll, you know, it's more, more ways for us to be open and give information more easily to the public um, than having to foil things or, you know, come to meetings and ask questions. They can do this at the, in the comfort of their home or business and get way more information than they ever could have out of a budget document. Um, Josh, before we go, is there, is there anything else either about the budget you want to talk about or is there other things going on in your purview at the county level you want to let folks know about? No, I think I'm pretty proud of this budget. I think it's probably the best um, from a financial and providing services to the residents budget that I've certainly seen since I've been here. So I think it, it's, it's nice to, to be able to, to, to advance the county and, um, and also take care of our workforce. I think we have, we're hopefully we have votes going on with our last union contract as we speak. So hopefully when this is adopted, all of our union contracts will be settled. And we even put in, I 
one of my kind of initiatives here with HR and stuff is kind of getting our even our workforce more educated. So we put some substantial money into kind of get our employees educated in leadership development programs. So I think, um, like I said, it again speaks to having some money to be able to do things um, to help grow our our employees and and, and get them more um, productive, educated, and just generally happier to come and work come and work in county government. So. I think, yeah, overall, I think, uh, like I said, it's uh, the best budget I've been part of, and I think this is uh, my 16th, so it's uh, almost not quite two decades, but it's almost coming on two decades, and I think we're in the best financial shape um, that uh, I've seen, certainly, in that time period. Okay, Josh, well, congrats then on the work that you've done, and thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us about it. Yeah, perfect. Appreciate it. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, it's our regular weekly check-in with Sullivan County Democrat and our news roundup, the latest going on in the area. Do stay tuned. You are listening to The Local Edition, winner of two Excellence in Broadcasting Awards from the New York State Broadcasters Association. Radio Catskill. Listen local. Well, I'm John Bachman. I've uh, been helping with music sale. We've got a lot of good stuff this year, some great old stereo equipment, turntables, good treasures. Just look for bargains. There's a ton of great stuff here. The main records are great, some really, really nice condition stuff. Get here on the early side so you can join the fray and have fun looking at records. The WJFF Music Sale. Doors open at 11, sale goes till 3 this Saturday at the White Sulphur Springs Fire Hall. Welcome back. It's a local edition. I'm Jason Dole. Coming up, we'll be checking in with Sullivan County Democrat, talking about the reaction to how elections went down in Sullivan County. First, we have an update from Albany. New York is now granting its first 36 licenses to sell cannabis in the state. And as Karen DeWitt reports, the program is the first of its kind in the nation to award licenses to people who are harmed by the decades-long prohibition on the drug. And so 36 have been approved at this point. The first round of licenses are aimed at promoting social and economic equity and go to applicants that have been convicted of a marijuana offense when the drug was outlawed and who live in a community that was disproportionately impacted by the prohibition, says OCM Executive Director Chris Alexander. Equity is the cornerstone of New York's cannabis industry, and we will only accept applications that demonstrate this commitment. The applicants must also have run a profitable business for at least two years and own assets like a vehicle or property and have a bank account. The licenses were chosen from over 900 applicants. They include 28 businesses and eight nonprofits. They qualified because they have a history of serving incarcerated or formerly incarcerated people. Among the nonprofits are Housing Works, begun in 1990 to fight AIDS and homelessness, and Life Camp, a Queens-based organization that helps reduce violent crimes and arrests. Founder Erica Ford is the first African-American woman head of a nonprofit to be awarded a cannabis retail license in New York. Board member Jen Metzger says no other state has done as much to try to right the wrongs of the Prohibition era. This is a momentous day, a very exciting thing to be part of. And, um, you know, it shouldn't be lost on anyone that this is really the first of its kind anywhere. Some of the shops could be open as early as the end of this year. OCM hopes to grant as many as 175 retail licenses under the program. 
A federal lawsuit has stalled the awarding of some of the licenses, though. A Michigan-based company sued, saying New York should not restrict the awards to applicants who were convicted of a marijuana-related offense in New York State. They argue that the requirement violates the Interstate Commerce Clause because people with marijuana convictions in other states are not included. As a result, OCM for now is not awarding any licenses in several regions of the state, including Western New York, Central New York, the Finger Lakes region, and the Mid-Hudson Valley, as well as Brooklyn, until the lawsuit is settled. The OCM board also approved proposed regulations for the adult use of the drug with the aim of keeping cannabis out of the hands of minors by prohibiting stores near schools or playgrounds. The regulations also strive to keep the industry independently owned and operated with restrictions on owning multiple stores. The rules are modeled on the regulations for the state's liquor industry, and they separate cultivation, processing, and distribution from retail by not allowing any one person or entity to own businesses that both produce and sell the product. Alexander says there will also be transparency in the ownership of the new enterprises. Investors will need to be clearly identified to prevent any one group from trying to gain a monopoly on any aspect of the new industry. If we're truly going to have a market, that's decentralized, that's democratic, that's run by small and medium-sized enterprises, we need to understand who it is that's coming in to try to dominate investments. The proposed regulations will be open for a 60-day public comment period before they're finalized. In Albany, I'm Karen DeWitt. And thank you to senior Albany correspondent Karen DeWitt and the New York State Public Radio Exchange for that report. This is the local edition, and now it's time to do the other thing that we always do on Mondays, which is get our weekly news roundup from the Sullivan County Democrat, getting the latest news from managing editor Joseph Abraham. Joe, thank you for joining us again on the program. Oh, no, it's always great, and happy early Thanksgiving to you and all of the uh, local edition listeners. (laughs) Thank you, yes. And um, so so what stories are you looking at this week? Yeah, so there's... um two big things that happened at last week's legislature meeting. Or, uh, the first was uh, yourself, myself, uh, on election night, we were talking about the long lines, right? And right. there was some of it that some pointed to on the spot, like, oh, it must be increased voter turnout. And while we don't know the exact number of people that actually you know turned out and if that was higher than in past years, the uh, there were some public comment made at the uh, legislature this past Thursday. A couple poll workers actually showed up from uh, Mamacating and uh, Youngsville, and they were expressing some issues with the process, uh, particularly some equipment malfunctioning. This year, uh, when going to vote, voters might have noticed that people were individually printing a ballot for you, and depending on if there was printer malfunctions, which there were in some places, uh, it caused backups and, and lines. And so between that and there was discussion that the people were afraid, perhaps, that maybe there were folks that didn't vote because they drove by and saw the lines and were like, you know, we're not going to to stand and wait, particularly if you think about some of the uh, older population that we have here, people with disabilities and stuff, you know, who might not have had the accommodations at certain polling sites uh, to wait around. So... Pretty much there was, uh, some of the public was asking for an analysis to be produced by the Board of Elections on what went wrong and how to fix it. Uh, you know, reviewing the number of check-in stations. I know that one of the poll workers said that in Youngsville, for example, they had 
two districts there, and so they only had one check-in station, and so that was difficult for them at times because your like margin of error is very small if you only have one place to send voters to uh, within your election site. So asking to look at that, having more techs in the field to deal with issues if uh, they're you know if things are going awry and with printers or iPads and all these new technical things that people are using with elections. And so then there was a discussion as far as you know the public poll workers that were bringing it up talked about maybe more budgetary support for the board of elections for supplies and and uh in that in order to help alleviate some of these issues in the future uh legislators and their weighing into the discussion talked about perhaps the need for more poll workers and how uh perhaps canvassing county employees to see if they would be interested in working the polls to try to fill some of those voids and then Alan Sorensen, majority leader, was saying that it might be good to go back to just the pre-printed ballots when they already had stacks of them and were handing them out to people because he thought, while it is, you know, in a way it's trying to save the environment, right? If you're only printing what you need to use as opposed to having a whole bunch of you know, ballots printed out, he was saying that, you know, ink cartridges and such are probably just as bad for the environment as you know, extra ballots that can be recycled. So so those were all a bunch of the things that were discussed, and uh, it's just uh, beyond that and also some of the other folks that we spoke to at the paper, uh, Tom Bowes at the local town of Calico meeting on Monday was expressing some issues with what was going on on Election Day. There have been a lot of conversations that have been going on between elected officials and the Board of Elections on how to alleviate some of these issues in the future. And it's uh, something that they everyone seems on board with wanting to correct, especially when you look at next year, which is going to be an insane election year in Sullivan County when you have all the most of the town supervisor positions and, of course, all of the nine legislative districts are going to be up for re-election. So definitely something yeah. to keep an eye on. It's going to be – that's going to be a big election. And I – is there going to be a response, do you think, from the county board of elections? Is there anything about any of this that needs to perhaps go to the state board of elections? Yeah, so as far as that, I did reach out to the board of elections for a statement. I did not hear back by press time. I know that they've had a lot of conversations. Like I said, the legislators had uh, brought up that they had been in discussions with them and, and, and as far as what they could use or, or would be helpful to them to kind of alleviate some of these things. As far as the printers and stuff, I'm not quite sure at the state level. I'm not at this time. I don't know whether or not this process was changed because it was a state requirement or if it was a uh, local requirement. But the the thought was that or a local, I guess, preference. But one of the things that just people were discussing was is that if you have more possibly poll workers, you have more check-in stations and you're not kind of funneling in any smaller communities to rely on only one table or one printer and one tablet, because everyone's had issues with technology, right? Like, it's not anything that's new to any one of us uh, that maybe uh, that would help, you know, because at this point, if you're at a place and you only have one printer, per se, and it goes down, well, you're at a standstill until that's resolved. So that was sort of what was brought up is maybe like having backup systems in place and maybe looking at that so that, you know, these issues don't regardless of if they're going to continue individually printing ballots or having them pre-printed, uh, you know, having these systems in place as far as uh, making things run more efficiently. I heard that you're also looking at something about Hughes Energy. 
Yeah, so we're, I guess, taking a hard 180. We're going to go from elections to solid waste, which is... Uh, there you go. Why not? Uh, which, you know, doesn't sound like the most exciting of topics, but it's a big issue that we're going to have to focus on because uh, our county sends a large amount of its waste up to Seneca Meadows Landfill uh, upstate, which is slated to close in 2025. So the county's trying to contemplate as far as what their next steps are for when that time comes, and they were approached by Use Energy and reported on it previously because they had come to the legislature a few weeks ago to give a presentation on a potential R&D operation, research and development at the uh, county landfill where the county would provide up to 20 tons a day for them in this operation, which they'd use autoclaving, steaming, steam autoclave technology to turn waste into biofiber, which is used into various other things, bioethanol, perhaps in the cardboard. There's a lot of different items. Um, but when the first time they came to speak, uh, the legislature had some questions for them. The public came out and there was some criticism thrown in their direction because of they've kind of proposed projects in other areas of the state use energy. And some of those communities, Roxbury, Prattsville, have expressed opposition to those projects. And so this time they, they came back, they had a few more representatives on hand, including their CEO, he spoke to legislators, the legislator, and then also um, Bill Ortz, who was a uh, representative from the USDA, was there, and pretty much both answered questions that legislation might have and talked a little more about the process. And so they were talking about how the uh, air emissions from carbon dioxide and particulate matter and such, uh, that their full operation, because one of the conversations was that this R&D thing does move forward, and it does uh, get the green light that maybe the county would consider long-term, possibly, a bigger operation to kind of look at these solid waste issues that they're going to have to deal with. And um, all of this, of course, needs DEC approval at the state level before it can move forward. But uh, the idea was they were saying is their air emissions and stuff were lower than the DEC and federal standards, uh, or thresholds, I should say. They said that do the water uh, using carbon filtration, reverse osmosis, 99% of PFAS or forever chemicals are eliminated from effluent. So they're pretty much talking about their feelings that this process is a good thing and that, of course, that it's safe to try to alleviate concerns that the public had. Um, and the different organizations that were present, uh, Wes Gillingham once again was there from Catskill Mountain Keeper, associate director, and he expressed some issues with uh, Use Energy, particularly saying that a lot of what they're saying is misleading and that there's a lot of uh, a lack of information out there. And he was critical about the fact that they have not submitted an environmental impact statement uh, to the uh, DEC for their Roxbury project yet. So, uh, you know, Aileen Gunther was present at the county legislature meeting, and she was invited up by Chairman Rob Doherty to see if she had any questions for Use Energy, and he asked, well, she asked if, you know, you have these different counties you're presenting to, what was their opinion or what do they think about your, your project? And his answer was, uh, from Use Energy, was is that they're interested in the solution, but nobody wants to be first and be that first pioneer uh, location. And so, you know, Wes Gillingham in his rebuttal was saying to them that, no, it's really it's a lack of information. And he said, i not paraphrasing his quote, that no one wanted to be the first guinea pig in a failed experiment because there wasn't enough information. Uh, and so there was a lot of other public comment that were challenging the, the project. Uh, and so 
we'll see exactly going forward what uh, what ends up happening. But at this present time, the legislature hasn't made a decision on the resolution or whether or not they're going to move want to move forward with a R and D project with uh, Use Energy. But the chairman Rob Doherty had said in the past that. Uh, putting the resolution forward got people there, got people talking, and that that and the discussion that they had is sort of just the start of the conversation as far as the county solving its long-term potential issues with solid waste removal. So, okay, any changes with what's coming out in the Democrat this week with the holiday going on? Uh, what'll what'll be out Friday? Right. So our Friday paper, it'll pretty much be our usual articles and stuff, but the deadline is slightly different. If there's people out there that have press releases to send in to us, uh, there's an early deadline advertising all that stuff because we're actually putting the paper together on Wednesday. It's still going to come out Friday. Uh, you know, there might be a few holiday-themed uh, items in there, but uh, other than that, uh, that's pretty much... The, the gist of it, and we just hope everyone has a wonderful holiday season and, and stays safe out there. And um, you know, we'll keep here, as you know, and I know. You know, there's never a, too many off days in the news world. So I'm sure, even though that we'll be uh, hopefully enjoying time with our families, we'll be keeping a close eye on whatever's happening. So yeah, we'll be we'll be ready to come back and talk about it or write about it uh, as soon as we get a chance. Uh, well, I do hope you have a great Thanksgiving too. Joe Abraham from the Democrat. Thank you so much for joining us again. Always a pleasure. Well, that's it for um, us here on the local edition on your Monday evening. We'll be back tomorrow for more. I've been your host, Jason Dole. Stay tuned. Coming up next, we've got our great Monday night lineup of news and political talk, starting with Laura Flanders' show. This is Radio Catskill. WJFF Jeffersonville, W233AH Monticello. Support for Radio Catskill comes from Canoza Hall, featuring 22 guest rooms, a fine dining restaurant with full bar by Foster Supply Hospitality's award-winning culinary team, outdoor lakeview seating, and a full-service spa. CanozaHall.com. From the River Reporter newspaper in Narrowsburg, New York. RiverReporter.com. And from listener donations at WJFFRadio.org.